You know what I'm saying? Like Jesus, I'm sure, is so excited about that. And then, anyway, like if you fast forward to the 4th of July, you probably barbecue some. You cook out on the grill. You have people over and hot dogs, burgers, whatever, you know, smoke some ribs. That's what we Birthdays. What do we do? Well, at my house, what we do is you get to pick what's for dinner if it's your birthday. So my youngest son, Gabe, every year, Gabe, what do you want for your birthday? He says, I want some cereal because we never let him eat cereal ever. Like it's off limits in my house. So he's like, I just want to, what kind of cereal do you want? He's like, I don't even care. Just give me a box of cereal. Like, and cake and ice cream. You got to have cake unless it's my birthday. My birthday, I don't get cake and ice cream. Nope, because it's pie day. My birthday is 3.14, and so I get pie and ice cream. How wonderful is that? Like, pie is so much better than ice cream. Yeah, but that's what we do, right? We love us some food. We love our, our snacks. I've done a, so many weddings. And when you do a wedding, here's what happens. You say, I do, and I do, and you can kiss the bride. You're now man and wife and all that. Let's go have some snacks, right? Isn't that what we do? It's so weird. We're like, let's eat cake. Because now that you've done the kissing thing, we need some dinner and some cake. That's just how, that's how we do things. Breakfast, you probably got your routine of what you do for breakfast. I have my routine. I have coffee with Amy. Every single day, that's what we do. We wake up, coffee with Amy. She normally scrambles a, a couple of eggs, and we'll slice an apple. Food is also fun because you can share, you know, and so I'll share some apple with Amy and she'll share some apple. And I, I share with these two guys, check these two guys out. Yeah. And, and notice how good they're being. So that's Reese on the right and that's Sammy on the left. Reese is a 14-year-old wire fox. He's looking crazy right now in his eyes. He can't see, y'all. He's blind. He's 14 years old. He's blind. He can't see. He's deaf. He can't hear anything. Like you can say, want a treat? Want to go bye-bye? Want to go outside? He doesn't know. Like he can't hear anything. But yet when it's time to eat apples, he knows. Like he runs and he sits down. And even Sammy, he's a, he's a standard poodle. So he's a, he's a baby right now. He's a, but look how he's not. Nope, I'm not going to jump on anyone. I'm not going to bite anyone. He's going to sit there like a good dog. So it's so good. You can share. We could talk about food all day, couldn't we? We could probably snack all day too. And, and that's kind of what the problem is. It's a big problem because we have this unhealthy relationship with food. And before I go any further... Let me just pause and say that I know that today's message is a difficult one because it's personal. It's, it's a lot like faith, right? Your faith is a very personal thing to you, and oftentimes this topic of food is such a, a, a personal issue as well because we do have some unhealthy habits. Like, did you know that Americans overall eat 20% of their meals in the car? 20%. That means almost a quarter of everything that we eat as Americans, we eat on the go. The problem is there's been research to back this up. It was published in Business Insider, which is kind of like a medical journal, whatever. But anyway, it was printed in Business Insider magazine. And here's what it says. It said there's a disconnect. Scientists have shown there's a disconnect between the brain and the stomach so that when you eat on the go, you know, you drive through, you get your food, you probably have enough calories for a meal, maybe two or three meals in that one sitting on your way home. You get home, your brain doesn't feel like you really ate because you didn't sit down to a meal. So what do you do? You get home, even though you just ate, you get home, you walk over to the refrigerator and you open it up to see what's, isn't that what we do? That's what we do. One in four Americans, this will blow your mind, one in four Americans eat fast food every single day. Every day. 
we eat between 150 and 170 pounds of sugar per year. 150 to 170 pounds of sugar. Go back to the 1800s, we ate between four and six pounds of sugar per year. Now we're at 150 to 170 pounds. For some of you, that's just a number. So here's what I want you to do this afternoon. This afternoon, head down to Kroger or to Meyer, whatever grocery store you like to go to, and I want you to buy 30 bags of sugar. 30 of the five-pound bags of sugar, and just put that on your dining room table and step back and look at it and think to yourself, if I don't do something, that's what I'm going to put into my body this year. 150 to 170 pounds of sugar. Of course, this ends up becoming a slippery slope real quick, doesn't it? And the health starts to go downhill. That's why we have this epidemic of high blood pressure, high cholesterol, heart disease, stroke, type 2 diabetes, liver disease, some cancers. It's, it's out of control. And so there's a, a simple issue that we can't live without eating. We also can't live to eat. Again, before I go any further, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Woodside Romeo. I am Pastor Billy. I'm your campus pastor, and I missed you guys. Like, I really missed you. If you're new with us, uh, two weeks ago, as soon as I finished preaching, we got in the car. The car was already packed, and we headed for vacation. We went to Kentucky to see the ark first, and then we went to Oklahoma to see family. It had been like three years since I had been to Oklahoma to see family, and uh, we enjoyed it. You know, it was good getting the opportunity to see family, but we missed you guys the whole time. We sat in church last week. We were sitting there talking about you guys the whole entire time, so it's really, really Good to be back with you today. One quick thing I want to point your attention to before I really jump in. You see in your seats, there's these cards everywhere. There's uh, so many of you are already involved in a group, and yet there's some of you who are not. I want you to know there's more to Woodside Romeo than just Sunday morning. So if you could just take this card and make sure that you fill it out. Right outside the doors on the left-hand side, there's a table sitting there. I want you to make sure that you turn it in because the fall launch is coming. Guys, it's coming quickly. You're going to hear more about other stuff that's going to be coming um, here in the next few weeks. But we're, we're just weeks away from the launch of our fall schedule. You'll want to make sure to get this filled out so that you can be in a group. Church, let's go ahead and open up our Bibles to John chapter 4 today. John chapter 4. We're doing this sermon series where we're talking about socially acceptable sins. Those are those sins that you kind of look at and you say, I've kind of made peace with that particular issue. I'm not even going to worry about it. We're not going to. And this one, today's topic is personal. I think because it's personal, we skip it in church a lot of times, don't we? Like it's not often that we talk about this topic. We skip right because it is. It's a, it's a touchy one. It's a hard one. And it's it's weird because with eating, you have to eat, you have to have food to live, and it's kind of like talking. We all talk. The problem with talking is when it, gets, when it gets to that point of where it's gone too far and gets sinful, it's such a slippery slope we can fall into. Eating's the same way. We do things in excess oftentimes, don't we? And when you eat too much, we call that gluttony. Gluttony is the sin of greedy eating or the habit of excessive eating. So we'll go real far on that side, or some will go real far on the other side. Then they'll go to the point where they don't eat. They'll starve themselves. They'll do, they'll do the opposite of gluttony, right? I'm going to go the, the opposite way. And so there's some of you, because I've talked to so many people through the years, if you struggled with this, 
And this is probably one of those things where you would say, you know, Pastor, for years I've dealt with this. For years I've been, I've been fighting this, trying to figure this thing out. Some of you, you'd say, well, I personally don't, but I've got people I care about, and I've watched them struggle with this and go through this. And some of you are like, no, nah, I'm, I'm good. Like, if I'm hungry, I eat. If I'm not hungry, I don't eat. Like, that's kind of where I'm at. You know, it's just pretty simple for me. I think no matter which of those three groups you're in, the big idea today hits every single one of us. The big idea is this. God's mission satisfies a deeper hunger than food. Let me say it again. God's mission satisfies a deeper hunger than food. So we're going to start by reading the whole text, John chapter 4. I'll be in verse 31 through 38 today. I'm going to read the text, and then we'll stop and we'll pick it apart together with the remainder of our time. John chapter 4, verse 31 says this. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, urging Jesus, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do, to do the will of the one who sent me and accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. So if we're going to see how God's mission satisfies a deeper hunger, the first thing that we're going to have to do is we're going to have to learn about the food in God's mission. Does that make sense? We're going to have to learn about the food. Look again at verse 32. Jesus says, I have food to eat that, that you don't know about. This story is taking place in a bigger story. And it's a bigger story that if you're familiar with the Bible, you're going to be like, oh, okay, because it's the woman at the well. Now, if you're new to the Bible, the woman at the well, Jesus goes to the well to get water because he's thirsty. And that's where you go, like we go to Starbucks, right? But he was going to the well because he was thirsty. And when he went to the well, there's this woman from Samaria. This is another sermon for another day. But that's huge. The fact that a Jew was talking to a Samaritan is a big, big deal. The fact that Jesus, the rabbi, the teacher, is talking to a woman, that is a big, big deal. And we'll talk about that again on another day. But right now, Jesus goes up to this woman, and they start having this conversation. And as they're having that conversation, if you look back at chapter 4, verse 13, look at verse 13 in your Bible. Jesus tells her, he says, everyone who drinks of this water, and he's talking about the well, He's talking about like what we would get out of a faucet, right? Just normal drinking water. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. So someone said to you, hey, if you drink this, you'll never be thirsty. What would you say? Yeah, you're going to say the same thing the woman said. Give me some of that. I want some of that. She says, give me this water. And so Jesus launches into a conversation where he first talks to her about her current living situation. Her current living situation was so sinful. And she kept listening and he kept going. He talked to her about true worship. 
He talked to her about how he's the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior of the world. And finally, there comes this point that she's like, okay, I'm listening. I've got it. I mean, but right at this point, the disciples return. In verse number eight, they left to go into town. They went to go get some dinner, right? We're going to get a snack. Jesus will be back. They go into town, and they come back in, and they see Jesus interacting with this Samaritan woman. And they're, they're blown away. They're just like, man, I don't know what I'm seeing because she's a Samaritan, and she's a, what, what is he doing? But it's at that point that the Bible says this woman leaves her jar her vessel, like the thing that she went to go get the water, you know, she'd get it and pour it in the little vessel, and then she's got to carry this jug to take it to be able to have water. She leaves it right there, and she says, hold on, Jesus, I'll be back. I've got to go tell everyone in town. She went to get water because she was thirsty, and yet her thirst was quenched in a beautiful way. Do you see that? Her thirst was quenched where she said, I'm, I'm going to be back. I mean, I'm going to come back, but, but hold on. There's something huge that I've got to take care of. And so she goes into town, and look what she says. She says, come, this is verse 29, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And then John tells us that they went out of the town, and they were coming to him. So she goes into town. She tells everyone what she just experienced, and they are like, I need to see this too. So they believe her, and they start toward Jesus. Now, I want to show you something important, because we skip this a lot of times. Jesus is having this beautiful, intimate conversation with this unbeliever, right? Guys, everyone Jesus talked to at this point, they're unbelievers. We forget that, don't we? They're all unbelievers. At this point, everyone Jesus is talking to, they're listening and they're receiving the words of Jesus. And slowly but surely, their ears and their eyes start to become open to who Jesus is as the Savior of the world. And lives are being changed. That's exactly what happened with that woman at the well. And what I love is this isn't just something that happened 2,000 years ago. This is still happening today. Today, people are still having that moment where ears and eyes are being opened, and people are saying, I am recognizing Jesus for who he is, the Savior of the world. So what happens? The disciples went to get food in verse 8. They come back. Look at verse 31 again. It says, meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat. And he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. So the disciples, they get back. They got some groceries, right? And they're like, all right, Jesus, here's some food you need to eat because you've been, you've been worn out like you need to eat. And Jesus is like, no, nah, I'm good. I'm, like, I'm good. And they look at each other kind of like, what, did someone take him a snack? What do you mean he's good? And, and that's where he cleans it up. And he's like, no, 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 my food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. Another way of saying that would be Jesus looked at them and said, hey, guys, I'm already chewing on something. I'm chewing on something right now. You know, he's chewing on. He's, he's chewing on that conversation he had with the Samaritan woman because this was so rare for Jesus. Do you realize that? 
Guys, this was so rare for our Savior to have this type of encounter. He's talking, he's talking to this woman, and he's, he's talking to her. He's like, let's talk about your sinful living situation. And she consumes it, and she's like, yeah, give me some more. And he's like, let me talk to you about true worship. And she's just like, yes, keep going. And he's like, let me talk to you about the Messiah. And she's like, time out. I got to go tell everybody. Like that was the encounter. That was not normal. This is John chapter 4. If you go back to John chapter 3, one of your favorite verses probably is John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Right, John, well, that conversation happened with a guy named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee who came to Jesus at nighttime because he was nervous about all the other Pharisees seeing him. And as he had this conversation with Jesus, at the end of it, you know what Nicodemus did not do? Nicodemus did not say, hey, I'm good now, Jesus, time out, let me go tell all the other Pharisees. He didn't do that. That's not how that ended. Or let's fast forward. If we go to John chapter 5, John chapter 5, Jesus heals the man by the pool. And what does that man do? He goes off and he tells all the Jewish guys everything that happened on the Sabbath. And they turn around, they get mad at Jesus that he was working on the Sabbath. Do you remember that? Got mad at Jesus. How could you do this on the Sabbath? It was not a place of celebration. It was not a place of, I've seen God move, and oh my goodness, time out. I got to celebrate this. Keep going. You'll get to chapter 7. In chapter 7, his brothers give him a hard time saying that he was seeking out the spotlight. In chapter 6, you see many of his followers fell away because he said he was bred from heaven. And so they just fell away. They were freaked out by that. You could go to chapter 9. Chapter 9, the blind man comes to faith in chapter 9, and yet the focus really isn't on the blind man at all. It's on the blindness of the Pharisees. So right in the midst of John's gospel, where we see difficult encounter after difficult encounter, Jesus has this moment with this woman from Samaria at the well, and he looks at the disciples and says, I, I, I know you guys are ready to eat, but hey, I'm already chewing on something, and it's awesome, and it's powerful, it is so good because it ties back to God's mission. Now, I know there's some of you who probably think things like, well, no, he said he doesn't need any food because he was fully God. He was fully man, but he was fully God. John 1 tells us that, right? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Jesus, Jesus was God. He didn't, he didn't need any food. Let me just help by saying that that's incorrect theology. Like, that's not right. Go back in your Bible, chapter 4. We're already in chapter 4. Look at verse 6. It says, wearied, this is how the encounter happened in the first place, wearied as he was from his journey, he was sitting beside the well. See, Jesus got thirsty just like you get thirsty. He got hungry just like you get hungry. After he fasted for 40 days, the Bible says he was hungry. He got worn out. He got sad. Jesus wept. He mourned. He went through all the emotions, all the feelings, just like we do. But in this moment, he says, listen, disciples, listen, guys, you need to plug into this. I know there's food, and I know we need food, and I know that food is good, but there is something so deep and so rich about God's food that just quenches in such a unique way. So the first thing we need to do, we need to learn about the food 
that we're talking about in God's mission. Then the next and final part, he invites us to enter the field of God's mission. Look at verse 35 and following again. Scripture says this, Jesus is talking. He says, do you not say there are yet four months? Then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you've entered into their labors. So it seems like something happens here. It seems like Jesus shifts from talking about food to talking about the harvest. Doesn't it seem like that? But it's not really a switch. I, I look at it more like a megaphone. Jesus is amplifying what he had just said earlier when he said, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me and accomplish his work. What is the work of God? Well, it's an agriculture analogy here that we hear all throughout Scripture, but it's this, this thought of sowing and reaping, that spiritually we're supposed to sow seeds of faith with those around us. And as you sow seeds of faith, that eventually there starts to be growth, and then there's a harvest, right? People come to faith. And so do you see what's happening right here as he shifts? He says, yet four months and comes the harvest. Lift up your eyes for the fields are white. They're ready for the harvest. Picture the scene. This woman leaves behind her, her vessel, her, her clay pot, right? She leaves the pot there. She goes into town. Verse 8, the disciples had gone into town. They had purchased some food. They come back. So there was like this crossing, right? This crossing the night thing. So the woman leaves when the disciples get back. Jesus is having this conversation with the disciples. As he's having this conversation, he's talking to them. And he's like, hey, guys, what I want you to do, lift your eyes up. Lift your eyes up. And all of a sudden, as they lift their eyes up, can you imagine this? This crowd of people starting to come from town. And they're starting to make their way closer and closer to Jesus. Isn't that cool? Isn't that beautiful? Jesus says, I want you to lift it up. Look at John 4.39 again. It says, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there for two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Isn't that powerful? Now go back to what Jesus had said to the disciples. He said this. He says, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see one sows another reaps. I send you to reap that for which you did not labor. Church, God doesn't need me to do his work. Can we be clear about that? God doesn't need me. If he can create the heavens and the earth, he does not need Billy. He doesn't need you. And yet, he invites all of us to be part of his mission. That is so powerful. He invites all of us to be part of his mission. We see him do it right here with the disciples. He says to the disciples, in the time it took you to go into town and get a dinner snack and come back, in that time, there was some sowing going on that you had nothing to do with. You had nothing to do with that sowing. You weren't even here. And yet you get a front row seat for the harvest. Guys, that's how I feel being here as your pastor. 
It is so many of you, you have been part of this church for years. You've been faithful and been here for years. There have been pastors before me and more pastors before me that did a lot of work. And all of a sudden, I feel like I'd get a front row seat for the harvest. Like, I, I, I didn't do a lot of the sweat that got us to this point. I, I'd get this front row seat. That's what's going on with the disciples, right? They're getting this front row seat to seeing what God does. And he's so clear. Some's going to sow and some's going to reap. But the whole point is, you're going to be part of something so much bigger than yourselves. The food of God's mission quenches in a very unique way. The big idea, again, is God's mission satisfies a deeper hunger than food. It's hard, isn't it? Like this whole thing of food is hard because it is personal. And some of you would say, you know, I've battled with this for years. And it's, it's been a frustration for years. I think what makes it hard is it's so ingrained in our culture, isn't it? If you heard the phrase comfort food, y'all, I'm from the South. We are the masters of comfort food. We are. You know, it's, it's our thing. It's what we do. Sweet tea. You know, we are, and, and fried and biscuits and gravy. I mean, we are the masters of comfort food. And so when we're anxious, when we're grieving, we're having a hard time, we go, but we do it when we celebrate too. Hey, honey, I got this, this promotion at work. Let's go have hot fudge Sundays. You know, I mean, it's just, it's so part of, of how we do life. And, and there's nothing wrong with, with celebrating. And we see it with Jesus' first miracle, turning the water into wine, right? He's at a festival. He was at this celebration. There's nothing wrong with celebrating. But I think we've got to be careful because there's a slippery slope, isn't there? Where all of a sudden we take what's, what's, a, what's a good thing and we turn it into this thing that we're preoccupied with and that we think about all the time and that we're obsessed with instead of being obsessed with the mission of Jesus. Here's what he said in John chapter 6 verse 35. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. You know, some of you, have you gone through life you know what it is to run to other things in life when you get stressed or when you celebrate, either one, or when things are just kind of cruising. You're like you've, you've got things that you go to, whether it's sports or whether it's food or whether it's friends or whether it's work. Like you got all these things you run to, and you've never stopped and placed your faith in Jesus. Let me just tell you today, you need to stop and change that. Today's a day you really can stop and say, Lord, I don't want to hunger and thirst for eternity. And you do that not by going to the right church, not by praying the right prayers, not by giving enough money. You do it by faith in Jesus. You do it by faith in the fact that Jesus Christ came and lived and died and rose again. You do it by making Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life. So as, as we continue on this morning with our little bit of remaining time, I just want to encourage you right now, it's okay just to check out and just say, I need to do some business with the Lord. And just even right now, you don't need me for that. Just stop and have that time where you just stop and surrender your life to the Lord. For everyone else, I want to give you a challenge. I um, Here's what I, I think that it'd be great if I could wiggle my nose and fix everything. 
That's what we want sometimes, right? I'm going to wiggle my nose, and we got no more unhealthy relationship with food. And all of us, we're going to be great at sowing seeds. Like, we're going to go tell everybody in Armada and everybody in Shelby and everyone in Romeo. We're going to tell them all about Jesus. Next week, we'll have 5,000 people here. You know, it's going to be awesome. You know, it's going, I don't know where they're going to sit. It's going to get really hot. But, you know, it's, we're, it's going to be good. You know, we're going, I can't wiggle my nose. Like, that doesn't work, right? It, it, it's not a solution um, and and I, I think that with faith, oftentimes what happens is we need to take steps. Let's take a step of faith. Let's take a step towards health. Let's take a step toward being a better reflection of Jesus today. And so to do that, I got two ways I want to challenge you. First of all, some of you, you've placed your faith in Jesus, but you've never been baptized. I know there's, there's quite a few of you just this summer who have placed your faith in Jesus and, and we've had a few baptism services, but not that many. So you need to be baptized. It's something that needs to happen. It's that first step of obedience because it's a public declaration of something that happened in your heart. So what I want you to do, we have a service at Simpson Park at the end of this month. And all three services are going to be in one. Isn't that cool? We're all going to be in one service. It's going to be at Simpson Park. It's at the end of the month. Uh, information's in your bulletin. But we're going to have baptisms at that service. If that needs to be you, what I want you is right now in your bulletin, in the little communication part, I want you to fill out your name and information. Write down that you, you need to talk to someone about baptism. Make sure you turn that in to us, and we'll follow up, and we'll make sure that, that you're, you're baptized on that day. But for everyone else, I've got a different challenge. I want to challenge you to fast over this next month. I don't mean for a month straight. That's not what I'm saying. Just so I'm, That was kind of funny, y'all. It's okay. I know it's a heavy topic. But I'm not saying that you need to fast for the next month. But what I want us to do as a church is over this month, take one meal per week and fast and pray during that particular meal. And here's how you do that. If you've never done it, what I want you to do is pick one, maybe it's Thursday at lunch, whenever, whenever. That, that's not even the important thing. This is not to go on Facebook. This is not to be publicized. This is not wear a sign around your neck. That's not what it's about. But it's, it's taking that time that you would normally spend preparing food and eating food and say, during that time, I'm going to spend in prayer and devotion. During that time, I'm going to chase a, a, a food that quenches in a different way. Does that make sense? If you don't know what to pray for, maybe there's not enough going on in your life, um, I, ha I have a couple things I would encourage you to pray for. First of all, I would encourage you as you're fasting and praying to pray for our senior pastor transition. At Woodside Bible Church, uh, Pastor Doug Schmidt is our senior pastor, and he has been for 27 years, and he's announced that it's, it's time for a change, it's time for a transition. So will you be in prayer for the search team? Will we be in prayer for Pastor Doug? Will we be in prayer for that next person, whoever that person is, um, as, as they're preparing to come? So be in prayer for the senior pastor transition. Be in prayer for this campus. That'd be my second thing I'd encourage you to pray for. We know that, that we've been growing. You know, guys, it's middle of summer, and if you look around, you're sitting pretty close to someone, right? So we know come fall, it's, it's, it's going to be a fun time, right? It just is going to be a good time. But we need to address the space issue. And so we know we're in a building campaign. Uh, we know that all this is happening soon. Just so you know, within the next month, I should be able to bring to you a major announcement regarding the timelines and the plans. Guys, we're in the final stages of the planning. 
the leadership team, they're, they're taking, they're organizing, they're figuring out all the details. Um, I've seen more drawings and plans than I ever thought I needed to see, but I can tell you where the water drains on our property, which is great information to know as a pastor, right? Um, be in prayer for that. We want to pray for wisdom for individuals because that is important. You know, I, I laugh about it until we're flooding in our kids' areas, right? And then it wouldn't be very funny anymore. Uh, so we do want to pray for the wisdom of the individuals working on this. And just for our church body as a whole, it's a lot of change. So we do want to pray for our campus. The other thing is, as Jesus said, lift your eyes. The fields are white for the harvest. They're ready for the harvest. I love that there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of us who gather as a church family on Sunday morning here at Woodside Romeo, but I am haunted by the thought of where's the person that's supposed to be sitting in that chair? Where are they? How many people did I pass on the way in that they don't have a church family? They're feeling kind of homeless right now. They're aching. They're trying to find that place. So will you pray for the people in this room just to have courage and boldness, just to invite people to join us, to know when we're supposed to speak and when we're supposed to stay silent? Maybe pray for yourself that you have that courage, right? You know when, when to invite someone to, to come on in and join us and when you're supposed to say, yeah, I just need to stay silent right now. That we see people the way God sees people. We see our communities the way God sees our communities. As we prepare for our, our time of prayer and fasting, I want to go back to the truth that Jesus doesn't show food as a bad thing. In fact, he chose, of all the ways he could have told us to remember, he chose food, didn't he? The night that he would be arrested, Jesus washed the feet of the disciples. And he brought them together and they ate together. And he taught them still in those last hours. He said, I'm the vine. He said, you're the branches. He talked about fruit. Church, we're supposed to bear fruit, but our fruit is supposed to go back to the foundation of Jesus Christ. It always goes back to the foundation of Jesus. Finally, though, he took the bread. He broke the bread. He gave thanks. He said, this bread is like my body that will be broken for you and for all so the sins can be forgiven. He said, so when you eat this, I want you to remember. He took the cup and he said, this cup is like it. It's like my blood that will be shed for you. It will be shed for all so the sins can be forgiven. So when you drink, I want you to remember. So Woodside Bible Church, we don't ask that you're a member to participate in communion. If you're a follower of Jesus, I do ask that you're, you're a follower, you're someone who's placed your faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. If you've done that, I'm going to invite you to participate. So we'll do in just a moment. The ushers will come and they will hand out the bread and hand out the cups. I just want you to hold on to the bread. And I want you to hold on to the cup. As we listen to this last song, I just want you to examine your heart. As Christians, that's what we're supposed to do. Before we take communion and before we remember, we're supposed to examine our own hearts. And church, if there's any unconfessed sin in your heart, this is where you're supposed to stop and repent from that. You're supposed to stop and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I am gonna turn from that sin and turn to you because your food, your mission is so rich and satisfying. Father, we do thank you for today. I thank you that even in the midst of difficult messages, we find hope. 
Lord, we do thank you for the cross. We thank you for the reminder of who you've called us to be. We thank you for the freedom that we have in Christ. Lord, continue to speak to us as we examine our hearts.